Welcome to the first episode of Trailblazers. I'm your host, Claire Rennick, and I'm going to give you guys an inside look into the different facets of the Manitoba cannabis industry. I'm so happy you could join me. I've been waiting to release this project for a really long time. If you want to keep up with Trailblazers on social media, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at TrailblazersPod. So obviously, this is a super exciting time for the industry. We're one day away from legalization across the country, and I thought, who better to give me the rundown of what to expect than Canada's first ever cannabis reporter? That person is Solomon Israel, cannabis reporter for the Winnipeg Free Press. Right now, he deals with everything regarding legalization for the paper, but before that, he went to J School at Carleton, interned at the Jerusalem Post in Israel, and worked as a TV news producer on the Lang and O'Leary Exchange. We talked about what it's like to be the country's first cannabis beat reporter, the current issues with laws, and what we can expect to see change after legalization. Thanks so much to Solman for coming on the show, and this is Trailblazers. Uh, My name is Solomon Israel. I am the full-time cannabis reporter for the Winnipeg Free Press. Uh, and we also run a cannabis news website that focuses on weed more nationally, and that's called The Leaf News, and I'm the, I am the Leaf News. I'm the only reporter for The Leaf News. So now with The Leaf, why did the free press decide to dedicate a full-time reporter just to cannabis? I think they saw that there was a lot of interest in the topic. I think they saw it as a chance to expand their audience beyond Manitoba. Okay. Um, which is, you know, I think that's a vision that I, I could definitely get down with. Because um, I, I really do th- think people are really confused about what legalization means. Yeah. People, you know, people are all talking about the stocks and, you know, yeah. who's investing in what and who's making money. And, you know, that's interesting. But I'm I'm more interested in what it means for everyday people. Yeah. I mean, obviously that especially means cannabis users, but I, I think it means everyone else as well. Right. So what led you to cannabis then? I was writing business news for cbc.ca and there was, because there's so much business stuff going on right. in, the, in the cannabis space right now, um, there was an opportunity to write about it and I just started writing about it a fair amount out of my yeah. own interest. And uh, eventually I thought I might be interested in doing it full time and around that time uh, the free press had this job posting yeah. for, for a marijuana reporter. So It was specifically for a cannabis reporter, not just like a general reporter and then you got yeah. hired on and you specialized. Okay. Exactly. So then talking about cannabis reporting and asking kind of those basic questions, what have you learned about like the ethics of reporting? Like hmm. um, writers don't really use the word marijuana. Like I've seen a shift more towards the word cannabis. So just yeah, I don't see of... that as an ethical question. Okay. So much as a question of style. You know, it's funny. I um just on that issue of you know should we call it marijuana or cannabis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I'm sure you know there's the sort of prevailing um, theory behind that, which is that you know marijuana is this word that was used by like a derogatory term, exactly yeah. because it links it with like Mexicans, right? And you know the U.S. government. Was was trying to stir up sort of anti-Mexican yeah. sentiment and and combine that with anti-marijuana sentiment. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's certainly true that you know the enforcement of cannabis laws in the U.S. Uh, has been you know and continues to be and and in Canada for that matter linked to issues of of race and ethnicity. Yeah. But I spoke a while ago to this really interesting guy who's actually a professor of Mexican history. And he wrote a book on the history of cannabis in Mexico. Wow. And part of it was on this issue of like, how did the word marijuana get into the, the you know, the discourse in, yeah. in the United States and yeah. therefore in the rest of the world? And um, what he found through his research 
was it wasn't so much a word that was you know chosen to focus like to focus upon by the U.S. government, but that it was the Mexican sort of elite who who started first started spreading Took the that word. And ran with it, yeah. Yeah, they, they in the Mexican press they were the you know which represented sort of the interests of the Mexican elite. Yeah. Um, there were these sort of fear mongering stories about marijuana being printed. Yeah, and then. By virtue of wire services, like wire services in the U.S. would pick that up and start running those stories. Yeah. So, you know, the association of these negative feelings with the word marijuana wasn't so much an invention of U.S. authorities as it was an invention of Mexican Mexican, authorities that then kind of got exported to the U.S. Wow. But we're still at this place where most people, you know, they think there's something pejorative about the word marijuana. Yeah. You know, I don't. Personally, I don't feel that way. Like yeah. it's just it's just a word that lots of people use still. Right. Right. And um you know, I I usually use cannabis, but like right. when you write the same word so many times, you need synonyms. Yeah. <laughs> and I personally feel yeah. like marijuana is a perfectly acceptable synonym for cannabis. For sure. Um and so then just like going off of that, there's also like pot and weed like mm-hmm. those are kind of more casual terms so yeah. would you you would stay away from those when you're doing like a more hard-hitting story and you'd go for cannabis as opposed to yeah i yeah. usually avoid pot just for personal preference but yeah i'll write weed yeah for sure yeah yeah because it's like i don't know if if you're hanging out with your friend no one's saying oh let's go you know let's go right. smoke some cannabis yeah <laughs> exactly say, let's smoke some weed you know? exactly yeah so then that kind of leads into my next question about wanting or you saying they wanted to expand into a bigger audience. Um, the choice to not put up a paywall for the mm. leaf. Why was that? A, like, why did you guys choose to do that? I think. I mean, I think just because we have to make it. It's a new brand, and yeah. I mean, first of all, I should just be clear that like I don't have anything Any to do with say the business in that? Yeah, decisions. Yeah. But yeah. my guess would be that you know they didn't want to put up a paywall um, because it's you know it's a new brand and you need to make that available to people. Yeah. And. Um, you know, I think you can only get away with a paywall when people are sort of already familiar with what you're, right. what you have to offer. Yeah. You know? So when you're writing for the Leaf, who are you writing for? Is it like seasoned stoners, or is it like newbies, <laughs> or what's the audience? Uh, well, I think a lot of my audience is going to be people who are very interested in cannabis, probably for personal reasons. Yeah. But I try to make sure, like, I never assume anything. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I always try to speak to the you know the lowest common denominator in terms of knowledge about cannabis. Yeah. So, you know, like for example, yeah. I wouldn't write a story and use the word like dabs right. without explaining <laughs> that to da- dabbing right. is like a concentrated form of cannabis. Right. You know what I mean? Just right. like simple things like that. Breaking it down. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm still trying to learn who my audience is. I, yeah. I I'm pretty sure from you know conversations I have. Uh, with people who read my stuff, that it, it is you know people who are really into cannabis, but yeah. I, I I do also hear from people who are clearly reading the stuff and are and they're like, oh wow, this is all new Learnings. to me. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then, what are your plans to like expand the coverage of the leaf after legalization? If you guys have plans to do that, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Like I, you know, as I said, I can't really speak to it sort of from the business point of view. Yeah, but I just know I'm going to be really really busy yeah like what are some of the stories that you would like to cover after legalization i think i think there's going to be a really big uh political story coming up in the next year okay because we're a year we're like a year away from a scheduled federal election and it it could even be sooner yeah um so i think cannabis is going to be a big political story um i 
am really interested in covering issues with impaired driving and how yeah. that's policed. Yeah. Um, and I'm also, I, I think, you know, a big thing we're going to see play out in some provinces more than others is what happens to existing, you know, sort of illegal storefront dispensaries. Yeah. Um, I think that's going to be a really big ongoing story. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned issues with the impaired driving tests. Um, I'm really interested in that as well. Can you speak about that a little bit? Like what, yeah. what it is and what your issues are with it and stuff? Well, I mean, they're not, they're not my issues with it. Just issues in general. Issues. Yeah. yeah. I mean, these yeah. are real issues. And I wouldn't say they were issues unless I was told by experts that they were issues. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, first of all, it's, it's worth noting that it's it's all even before they passed it in a new law, it was already illegal to drive while impaired by yeah. by drugs, right? right? Uh, and the way that they would do that, they would determine if you were driving impaired by drugs is it would be a two-step process. So let's say you're driving your car um, and you were whatever driving erratically, a police officer saw pulls you over, and you know maybe as they can't just like test you, right? right. They can't just start testing right. you for drugs. They have to establish sort of a, a, a it's suspicion, a, a, reasonable, yeah. a yeah. reasonable cause to believe that you were driving impaired. So, you know, in addition to maybe what they saw with your driving or like obviously if they see um, like a, a joint in your car, that would yeah. be one thing. Um, but, you know, the one thing they might do just to establish that initial initial cause to do further testing would be what's called a, a roadside sobriety test, a standardized field sobriety test. Yeah. And that's like you see it in the movies where they're like, you know, walk a straight line. Get out of the car. Yeah. Exactly. Like yeah. those kinds of things. Um, so they could do that even before they pass the new law. And they will continue doing that afterwards. The real difference comes. There are two big differences. First of all, they will now have another way to establish that sort of that suspicion that you should be sent for further testing. Right. And that's this roadside test that they've been talking about. Yeah, which that's is the, the Drager spin. Drug yeah. Test 5000, yeah. which is like, it sounds like a sci-fi The name. craziest name. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's such a good name. Um, so what that device does is, yeah, they take a swab of your saliva, they stick it into a machine that sits in the police car, um, and it basically registers whether you have a certain amount of THC in your saliva. Right. That still doesn't show whether or not you're impaired. Right, exactly. So now we get to the second phase of this process. Yeah. Even before they changed the law, they would the, the process for determining whether or not a driver is actually impaired by drug is something called drug recognition evaluation, which is uh, it's like a course and a protocol that was created by, um, I can't remember the exact name, but it's, a, it's like a, the big national U.S. organization of chiefs of police. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And they basically take police officers, they, they send them to like a special training that takes six weeks where... They're supposed to learn, according to this program, how to identify whether a person is impaired and by what drugs they're impaired. So it's just like everything across Basically, the board. Basically, yeah. yeah. Like by means of a sort of physical examination, yeah. right? So not like an internal examination no, or anything. Looking, but they're, yeah, yeah, so they will do tests, for example, as part of this DRE, they'll do tests like measuring uh, the size of your pupil yeah. uh, or your, your like eye's response to a light moving in front of it. Um, those sorts of things, you know, they might be noting, like, they might be looking at your skin for, yeah. like, track marks from injection drugs right. or something like that. Yeah. You know, your breath, your overall demeanor. And there's this whole big, like, crazy checklist of things. Yeah. And at the end of it, it's supposed to, you know, 
the officer who is a quote-unquote drug recognition expert is supposed to be able to make this legal determination (laughs) and then charge you formally with being impaired by drugs. So they could do that before they change the law, and they will continue to do that after they change the law. DRE is still going to be a thing in Canada. But what the new law introduces, uh, which is important as it relates to cannabis, is they introduce this concept of a legal limit for how much of a drug you can have in your blood. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. So they didn't, they actually have set this out for a number of drugs, but we, of course, are focused on cannabis. Yeah. So, same as they set, you know, if you, if, if, if you're driving while impaired by alcohol, they would determine your impairment by having you blow into a breathalyzer, yeah. right? That breathalyzer gives them a reading of your blood alcohol yeah. level. And there is a lot, like a really solid body of scientific research dating back for decades that, tells us that if you have a blood alcohol level of a certain amount or a yeah. range of a certain amount, you're you're impaired. Yeah. You know, you're much more likely to get into an accident. Right. They tried to create the exact same thing with THC. Yeah. Um, so there is this law now that says, you know, if you're driving and you have between X and Y amount, you know, nanograms of THC in your bloodstream, right. um, then you you're are legally yeah. impaired according yeah. to this law. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they're escalating depending on how impaired you are or yeah. if you were, you know, there's an extra, it's extra bad if you're impaired by both drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Um, you know, the problem is, is that, you know, where I'm going with this is that, you know, the amount of THC that's in your blood does not track necessarily with how impaired you are. Right. Because it stays in your body for longer, like it's stored in your fat, right? Like it doesn't cycle out as quickly as alcohol does. That's a big part of it. Yeah. yeah. Is that even after, you know, if you're a regular cannabis user, you just have this like loose THC floating yeah. around in your system without impairing you. Uh, but also because like, frankly, uh, it, it's a less predictable drug, I think, than yeah. alcohol. Yeah. Right. In terms of like if people have respond to it differently and it's, it's, you know, it's one thing to have a legal definition of impaired, right? But then it's like, what's the actual definition? Right. Of impaired? Yeah. So, anyway, my point in all this is not to say that it's like not that it's not dangerous to drive while impaired by cannabis, because I think it is. It's yeah, clearly an impairing yeah. drug. Uh, the point is that the system that the you know one of the systems that the government has now has that police will now have to to determine whether or not you're impaired doesn't have any grounding in scientific reality. Yeah. And yeah. The federal government knows that. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure. I mean, not like they told me they know that, but it's like, you know, I've done a lot of research into it. This whole thing was established by um, the Canadian Society for Forensic Sciences, and they gave the government, the the Justice Ministry, a big report on it that helped them draft this law. And it says right there in that report what I just said. Yeah. That, you know, levels of THC in the blood are a very poor indicator for impairment. Yeah. So the government knows that. Yeah. Uh, In my personal opinion... This law will be challenged in court. I, yeah. I, you know, I mean, I think that's pretty clear. But in the meantime, you know, I think if you're the government and, you know, you're legalizing cannabis and you're coming up to election, you can't do that without, well, leaving yourself open to the yeah. charge that you're making the roads more dangerous. Yeah. You have to be able to have point to the this new special impaired driving law yeah. you passed. You have to be able to point to that come election time and say, well, we did this. We have something. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So that's sort of my take on how we came up with a, a law that's pretty imperfect yeah so home growing mm. is a big thing we it's us in quebec that are the only provinces that don't allow home grow right correct um do you think that that will be challenged and overturned um it could be you know it's it's funny people have asked the justice minister that and um you know basically whether they would fight 
Manitoba and Quebec over this. Right. You know, and just to go back, basically the federal law says that an adult can grow four plants in a yeah. residence. Yeah. Um, and the government, that like the, this was in sort of a Justice Department memo from a while ago, but it basically said where, where sort of these Justice Department lawyers break down the law and they explain what they're trying to do with every aspect of the law. And it yeah. said in that memo, uh, it basically said, you can grow up to four plants and we are allowing the provinces to decrease that number, but, o- but we think they should only allow as few as one plant. Because the so everybody should get at least one one. That plan. was the Justice Department's right. position. Right. And basically their explanation for that was the reason that we want to allow home cannabis production is that we see it as a way to stop the black market. Yes. In yeah. the sense that people who don't want to buy recreational cannabis yeah. at, at retail prices should be able to grow. If they want a cheaper option, it makes sense to allow them to grow yeah. a bit, you know. Yeah. Um, so basically, the Justice Department's position was like, well, we don't want to, we wouldn't, we let the provinces reduce the number of plants, but not all the way down to zero, because yeah. that would conflict with our objective in creating this law. Right. But they're not actually going to fight it. They're basically saying, it sounds to me like the Justice Department and the federal government is now saying, we will wait for, you know, if, if, if that someone's going to challenge that, it's not going to come from us. Yeah. It's going to have to come from whoever in Manitoba or Quebec gets charged with breaking that law provincially. Yeah, we're not going to be then, proactive. And, exactly. Yeah. And then that person will presumably go to court and they will say, hey, the province unfairly charged me or, you know, fine me or penalize me yeah. for something that the federal government says is okay. Right. And, you know, in the Constitution of Canada, federal, when, when those two laws, federal and provincial yeah. law, they're supposed to be equal, except that when they conflict directly. Yeah. Federal, federal law Trumps, is supposed to win. Yeah. 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 Um, wow. It's so interesting. Um, so Ontario, they overturned their public smoking ban like yesterday. Do you think that that <laughs> will happen in Manitoba too? Or It's funny. I, I guess that happened late last week. Oh, did it? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then, so, I know, it moves fast. Yeah. And then like some reporter asked Doug Ford, the premier of Ontario, right. about it the next day. And he said something to the effect of like, wait, we did? I'm not sure I that's right. That. Yeah. <laughs> So I kind of oh. wonder, yeah, I wonder if that actually will be the case in Ontario. We'll have huh. to wait and see. Okay. Um, in terms of will that happen here in Manitoba, um, I would be very surprised. I mean, especially like this government has made it pretty clear that they are, you know, they they want to take a restrictive approach to smoking. Yeah. And just generally, like if you look at the trend that our society has been going in for a while now, like smoking is, smoking's not cool. You yeah. know, no, like universities are banning smoking. Yeah. Uh, houses like it's hard to find a place to smoke anything if you're a smoker well that's a good point like um it's the law that landlords can prevent you from doing in rented spaces yeah. right so people who want to um want to smoke recreation or whatever they can't do it outside they can't do it in their rented house they can't do it in their car where are they supposed to smoke right so um i think that that will be challenged like what do you yeah i mean that's an interesting question i think I feel like that would go into the category of like just laws banning smoking altogether. And I yeah. don't know, I don't really know enough about that to comment intelligently, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> it seems to me like governments have been able to prevent smoking in most places without having, you know, a court yeah. say they can't. So I don't know. I mean, on the plus side for cannabis users, there are more ways to use cannabis now. That's true. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, of course, even if someone can't do something, we know that they're going to do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So you wrote a piece called Our Recreational Cannabis Lounges in Canada's Future. Um, do you think that Winnipeg could ever have cannabis lounges or welcome spaces like that? 
You know, I think that for that, in order to create the political will for that to happen, there would have to be, like, like you said, maybe people complaining about the fact that they can't right, the use push anywhere for, else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like smoking lounges, you know, given the laws around smoking in this province, would, would be legally very challenging. But mm. I don't know. I want to say, you know, it's funny. I, I was about to say vapor lounges might make sense. But then when I think about it, the laws on smoking in Manitoba are pretty much all apply to both yeah. smoking and vaping. So yeah. maybe, if, I don't know. It's a really interesting question. Yeah. Like, I think it would just come down to the government seeing cannabis as, like, kind of a different beast than nicotine or cigarettes, mm. I think, and treating it differently because they are treating it um, very similarly to cigarettes and stuff, even with advertising and yeah. sponsorships and all the restrictions around that. So, um, yeah, because I don't feel like there should be places where people can hang out and smoke cigarettes inside, but I wouldn't be opposed to a space like that for cannabis. Yeah. Like, and even you go to Ontario and there are like, I think they are illegal, but they have like smoke rooms that you can go to, right? Like, yeah. So, you know, like there's a, a few longstanding sort of vapor lounges yeah. in Toronto. Uh, I, I know the owner of one in, in Kensington market, the Hotbox cafe. And you know, the owner there, Abby Roach, is like she's a real kind of natural politician and that she's like she knows everyone in the neighborhood. She knows all the police who come through. Yeah. And she has for years. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, basically the people it's it's better for the entire neighborhood. Exactly. If there is an enclosed space where exactly. people can go to use. Exactly. You know what I mean? You exactly. can vape inside. People can smoke on a patio out back. And yeah. um, I, I mean, that makes everyone happy. The right. smokers get to smoke. Right. And the non-smokers get to not, you know, get to not Everybody have people smoking their own on the business. street. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, maybe people will come around to that in time that, like, if you're going to make a substance legal, you probably should give people a place to legally use it as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. And those people maybe shouldn't only be private property owners. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Actually, we were talking about um, the restrictions on advertising and stuff. So I just want to ask you if you've seen the like anti-weed PSAs that the Manitoba government had like just put out oh, those today. Videos? Yeah. So what do yeah. you think about those? <laughs> it's funny. Um, I, I actually was emailing with the province today cause I was like, who made these? Yeah. I, I still haven't learned. Um, they seemed a little bit cartoony to me. Yeah. Um, I wasn't really clear on who they were aimed at and I'm also yeah. not really clear like other than releasing them to YouTube, like, are these going to run anywhere? Right. Are they going to be on TV or What's you know before strategy? movies if I go yeah. to the cinema? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not really sure I have much to say to them about those, except that I'm I'm really curious to know more. Do you think point. it was fear mongering? Like the skull and crossbones is like very intense. Um, yeah, the skull and crossbones seemed, you know, maybe a, a bit of a a bit like they were hitting you over the head right. with a hammer, you know? Yeah. But, and I can't remember what the language was, but it was like puts your health at risk or something. Like it was very, um, very intense. Like, so I don't really know what to think about that, but I felt like it was a lot on first watch. I mean, on the other hand, though, uh, have you seen the liquor, gaming, and cannabis authority ads that have been going up around town? The ones that are like, just kind of like you can't. Like the, you, you have to be 19. You to, have to be 19 or No more than older. 30 grams, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. What do you think of those ads? Um, like if I had to pick between the, like the, v, the video PSA and those posters, I'd definitely pick the posters. Um, but 
I think that they could have been done better, but I don't know how I would have done them. But when I first saw them, I was like, okay, wow, they just, they really want you to know that you can't, that you have to follow these rules. Like they're in all caps and yeah. it's huge white print. Like you can't miss it. Um, have they been putting them up on billboards and stuff anywhere or has it just been? Someone's told me, I haven't personally seen one on, yeah. I've seen smaller ones, but yeah. the, I know they did buy billboards. Okay. Yeah. And a friend told me he saw one on a billboard yeah. in a place recently. And so then, yeah, with like cannabis brands they i've seen billboards for cannabis brands that won't happen after october 17th right it's not supposed to yeah yeah it's not supposed to i'm really interested to see whether or not some of those will actually come down but yeah i mean generally they're really not supposed to be advertising anything to do with cannabis in a public yeah because like the tweed like they put up all those high posters have yeah. you seen those around and like it just seems like kind of the wild west until the 17th, like people, the companies are just moving forward with their business plans and yeah. just. Well, I mean, keep in mind though, the law itself doesn't actually, like the law has been passed by parliament, yep. but it doesn't actually start until that day. Right. So, so all those advertising restrictions yeah. do not exist right now. Yeah. Yeah. Or they exist on paper, but they don't, they don't mean anything until October practice. 17th. Yeah. 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 Um, so, you know. Uh, my guess is that they're they're just trying to get that advertising and that that brand awareness in while they can and um yeah we'll be really interested to yeah. see if those come down yeah. after after the 17th yeah so i want to talk a little bit about addictions and opioids and cannabis you wrote a piece called marijuana could help opioid users stay on methadone um and so you or you were basically talking about the study where they analyzed over 800 people who used opioid drugs from the late 90s to 2016. Um, and everyone in the study was involved in opioid treatment using methadone, which is a popular opioid substitute that eases the pain of withdrawals. Um, so they found that people who use cannabis at least daily during their treatment were about 20% more likely to stick with that treatment six months later. What do you, like, this is obviously a really good thing. Do you think that we're going to be seeing more cannabis used in treatment of opioid addictions and you know the whole cannabis and opioids thing no, like you know none of, it hasn't been conclusively proven that you know cannabis can do that you yep. know what i mean in terms of like a clinical yep. study can help people get off opioids there is just a lot of evidence suggesting that yeah you know what i mean yeah and i think it's important to make that distinction i mean Opioids are such a big thing right now, and everyone's yeah. talking about them in, in Canada and in the U.S., that it, I think it's being, to a degree, the, the opioid crisis is being kind of, I don't want to use the co-op, the word co-opted, but it's being sort of glommed onto by people who are both opposed to cannabis and for cannabis, right? Yeah. The pro-cannabis people, some of them are making arguments like cannabis can solve this crisis, yeah. which, you know, certainly hasn't been proven. Yeah. Uh, people who are anti-drug have been known to say things like cannabis is being cut with fentanyl, which is right. like, which Absurd, is untrue. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I tend to be really hesitant. You know, I there's a lot, like, believe me, I get a lot of PR pitches about like yeah. cannabis and opioids and stuff. I ignore most of them. I chose to write about that study for a few reasons. Yeah. Like, first of all, that it was published in a really prestigious peer-reviewed journal, right? Like, yeah. this is something that passed through a lot of yeah. like academic hands. Also that I like I know the the person who did that study or one of the people who was on that team and he has a very good reputation um, as a you know an addictions researcher in Canada. And um, 
you know, also the study didn't claim anything more than approved. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is just that, like, among this particular population of opioid drug use, uh, users in Vancouver who were using treatment therapies like methadone, you know, a, a certain proportion of them, there was a, a link. Yeah. Not necessarily a causal link, but just yeah. a link between the fact that they use cannabis daily and the fact that they were more likely to stick with their, with treatment. their yeah. treatment. And, and you know, if you read the article, I try to write it very carefully that way. Yeah. And, you know, th- then you get to the issue of the headline, which is like, how do you condense all that caution and the suggestion stuff yeah. into into a headline? Like five words, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's that's really hard to do. For but sure. But I, I just, yeah, I try to be really cautious when I write about that. Yeah, that's that subject. A, actually, my next question is: um, Should we, we should we be wary of treating cannabis like a cure all? But you seem to be very um, in tune and very conscious of doing that with your reporting. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. Uh, people like people will make all kinds of claims about cannabis. Yeah, it's you know, it's not for me to say whether or not someone should use cannabis to like try to treat their irritable bowel syndrome yeah. say you know what i mean um if they are using it and they're telling me they're using it in the context of the story and they say it works for them i'll report that but yeah. i would never uh, you know unless there's like a good clinical study on yeah. cannabis and ibs i wouldn't report that right um yeah i mean you just have to try and take everything with a, with a grain of salt yeah yeah you know while still it's hard you have to do that while still respecting individuals yeah and um I've spoken to a lot of medical cannabis users over the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, I mean, understandably, a lot of them are people who have been suffering from from some kind of illness for many years. They And they feel like cannabis has really made a huge improvement in their life. And they get, like, totally understandably, they get, um, you know, very, they can get very upset at, at something that suggests that, you know, you don't believe them or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um and it, it can be, yeah, it can be hard to to sort of work in that space sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So with all of these big um, companies coming in after legalization, what do you think will happen to like local head shops and dispensaries? Do you think that they're going to become obsolete or do you think that people are going to try and support local? Do we even have dispensaries? Like, I know of one dispensary here in Winnipeg. Like Weeds is a dispensary, correct? Are they still open? Yeah. Yeah. There's like in the exchange, we've got one. Really? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, and even just like head shops, like paraphernalia shops, like do you think yeah. that they'll be able to sustain themselves? After? That's a really interesting question because yeah. all the cannabis shops are going to be selling paraphernalia. Right, exactly. So it's like those existing head shops, yeah, I, I mean, I'll be really interested to see how some of them compete. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, a lot of head shops already are not even exclusively head shops, right? Like a lot yeah. of them are combined with something else. Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, man, if I were a head shop owner right now, I would, sweating. I would be freaking yeah. out because yeah. yeah, it's like someone goes to buy cannabis maybe for for the first time in a long time. Yeah, they no longer need to go to a head shop to get what yeah, they need. You know, yeah, it's right there. Everything's in one place. I just wanted to like back up. I like about yeah. what I was saying previously about medical cannabis. I don't yeah. want to suggest that I don't believe them or anything. Like, no, I for totally sure. believe people yeah. if they say. They're using something and it's, you know, treating their condition. Like Yeah. Those experiences are totally yeah, valid. Sure. And yeah. I, I take people at their word for that. Yeah. I just like I guess my point was just like that doesn't mean that I can report that it cures. No, for that sure. Condition. Yeah. You exactly. know what I mean? Yeah. Exactly. Edibles currently aren't legal, but the way that 
the law works now, you can take your flour home and mm-hmm. cook your own edibles. Um, do you think that drinkable products and edible products are going to be a really big part of the consumer market after legalization, after that passes? Yeah. First of all, I should note that it, making your own edibles after legalization wouldn't even be, you wouldn't even need to do it with flour or bud. You could do it with, like, they're going to be selling ingestible cannabis oils Oil, yeah. with, like, activated cannabinoids in them. Yeah. And you could just put a drop of that into anything and it's, yeah. it becomes an edible. Yeah. So it's, you know, people won't even necessarily need to know, like, like how to make how their to own make oil, yeah. Can of butter or oil yeah. or all that stuff. Um, as for the edibles thing, is it going to be big? Yeah, I do think it'll be big. I mean, I can't, I can't talk in terms of percentages, but I think that the idea of smokeless or even vaporless consumption is super appealing to a lot of people. Yeah. And um, I think people are going to be really curious. I actually, it's something that concerns me a little bit in terms of... Oh, really? I don't think people are going to die necessarily, (laughs) but I think people, some people are going to have bad experiences, you know? And um, because, I mean, you know what it's like, like people, edibles take a long time to kick in, people consume too much. And once you're on that ride, like you can't really get off for a while, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, there was a pretty, a a column by the, the New York Times columnist Maureen Dowd. I, I think it was in 2012 or 2013. It was like yeah. within a little while after Colorado legalized cannabis. Yeah. And uh, she went to Colorado and she like did exactly what you would expect. She like, she was like, I got an entire cannabis chocolate bar and ate it in my ate hotel it room. All in and five then, minutes. And yeah. then she writes this entire column about what a horrible experience it was and how she was in her hotel room, like, and she thought she was going to die, yeah. et cetera. <laughs> Ripping through space and, and time. And people yeah. just ripped her on yeah. for this because it was like, well, what did you, what did you expect? Yeah, right. But the thing was, she didn't even know what to expect. Yeah. And even, even though I think there's going to be a lot of messaging, like government messaging and, and storefront messaging about how to properly dose with edibles, yeah. people are still going to do some yeah. <laughs> regrettable things yeah. with them. Well, and I think that the companies also play a big role in that because after edibles become legalized, like people won't be left to their own devices to like guess the amount of THC and the butter that they made or yeah. whatever, you know what I mean? So companies I'm, will put their consumers in a better position to be more responsible. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the information in terms, you know, there, there's going to be a government regulated uh, single serving yeah. size. Um so, you know, it might be that they're only sold in that serving size. It might be they're sold in bigger sizes and then you can break it down yeah. in an easy way. Um, but in theory, when those legal commercially produced edibles come around, they, they ought to be pretty user friendly. Yeah. You know, the packages should contain a great deal of information, yeah. uh, including dosage tips, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, you know, and guidelines that are government mandated. And yeah. hopefully, hopefully that'll, you know, prevent some people from maybe having an unpleasant experience. Yeah. There are already so many stories, like edibles horror stories yeah. in the media right now, and there are yeah. going to be so many more. Yeah. And uh, you know what? It just comes down to the fact that, like, the irony that this form of consumption that on paper looks like it's great for people who are, like, novice users. Right. I actually don't think it's appropriate no, for novice yeah. users. Yeah, you know I, I mean? agree. I if agree. If you've never used cannabis before yeah. or you haven't used it in a really long time, yeah. There's no way you Don't should be doing that at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Awesome. Did you have anything else you wanted to add or any topics you wanted to touch on? Oh, man. We covered a lot of uh, a lot of stuff there. Yeah. But um, no, I think I'm good. Thanks for Awesome. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, my pleasure.
That was the very first episode of Trailblazers. Thanks so much to Salman for coming on the show and make sure you keep up with the Leaf news, especially after legalization. And once again, you can keep up with us on Instagram and Twitter at Trailblazers Pod. We want to hear your thoughts about the episode, legalization, weed in general, whatever. So thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you next week.